That was our backup worship team, and they did a good job. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, we're in Judges chapter 9 this morning. We're in verse 45 through 57. Civil war has broke out between Abimelech and Shechem in Israel. Shechem has disowned Abimelech now. And so there's strong contention, even fighting between them. And it's all because God sent an ill will between Abimelech and Shechem. In the economy of God, they must now pay for the murder of 70 sons of Gideon. Murder is a crime against God, and God is now beginning to work his wheels of justice in Abimelech and Shechem's life. So Judges chapter 9, verse 45 through 57. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city, killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Beareth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bough from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down their own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about 1,000 men and women. Then Abimelech <coughs> excuse me, went to Thebes and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in it. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his seventy brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Abimelech, he has defeated Shechem in, in a battle, and now he wants to destroy not only uh, their city, but their future in agriculture. So he sows salt on the ground where nothing will grow there in Shechem 
for many years. Now, those of you from the far reaches of the north, and you know who you are, <laughs> you know what happens to the trees alongside the highways where they spread salt. You also know what the salt does to the body of trucks and cars. After a few years, rust consumes these vehicles. Whenever I look for a used vehicle, I do a, a, a one of those CarMax car searches or whatever. I want to know where that car's been the last few years. I want to know who drove it where. And if it comes from up north, I'm not interested. <laughs> Abimelech, he sows salt. And that's a vindicative, cruel thing to future generations. A very cruel action. Meanwhile, Shechem has retreated from Abimelech to the tower where they worship. And they worship Baal Berith. Baal happened to be the pagan god of agriculture. And Berith, or Berith, whatever you pronounce it, was symbolized by a donkey. Bel Pereth was worshipped on hilltops, it was worshipped in groves, it was worshipped at altars, and here they've even built towers to worship Baal in. It's interesting, after our 9-11, back in 01, we would hear things like the Twin Towers of New York where the financial world worshipped. And when I first heard that, I go, wow. <laughs> but we see Abimelech, who would not only attack Shechem, but he, he's also attacking their worship of agriculture. And he's sowing salt. And he's doing this where there won't be any future generations there in that area. And it's interesting that the worship of Baal may seem like the intelligent thing to do, but it always degraded. It always went down into licentious and lustful practices. It was not uncommon for those who worship Baal to sacrifice animals to Baal and even human babies would sometimes be sacrificed to this god of Baal. And we see how Abimelech, he cornered the men of Shechem, and he's cornered them right at their worship tower. And now he's going to burn that tower. And he set this stronghold of theirs, he set it on fire, and he kills about a thousand men and women. And he's on a roll. He thinks he's consolidated his power. So he now surrounds Thebes, which was a neighboring city, and he plans on burning their tower of worship. Look at verse 53. Uh, but a certain woman, unnamed, just a certain woman, has carried a large millstone to the top of the tower as a weapon. A large stone, a bone 
crusher type stone, a skull crushing stone. When, when you drop it from a height on anyone beneath. And this certain woman has deadly aim. She hits Abimelech right on the noggin. And I don't care how many helmets that you wear to protect you in battle, a 50 pound hailstone, not hailstone, but millstone falling on your head will crush you. And it has done this. And she drops it and crushes Abimelech's skull. He's in his last throes of life. He is dying. And he calls for his armor bearer. And he commands his armor bearer, draw your sword, thrust it through me, lest men say a woman killed me. And his armor bearer obeys him. And Abimelech is killed. And upon his death, the battle is over. Israel sees their leader is dead. And so the battle just stops. Abimelech, he's an example of if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And notice there in verse 56 and 57, we have a conclusion. Therefore... God paid, repaid the wickedness of Abimelech on him for what he had done to his father's sons by killing his 70 brothers. It has now been returned upon him. And also the men of Shechem, God has returned evil upon them. And the curse of the one son that wasn't killed, Jotham, that he announced on Mount Gerizim, it has taken place just like Jotham proclaimed. Jotham was the youngest brother of the 70 brothers. He was called upon by God. He was required by God to shout out God's curse upon Abimelech and Shechem. And now it's come full circle. This curse has taken place. Jotham, by shouting out the curse upon Abimelech and Shechem, that made him a marked man. Both Abimelech and Shechem now want to kill Jotham. And Jotham had to live a life of seclusion. He had to live in hiding from Abimelech and Shechem. And he did so until the day that that stone, that millstone, was dropped on Abimelech. And it was dropped by an unnamed woman. Now, several women in Judges, in particular, are called upon by God to be the assassin of men of war. Deborah, she leads Barak into war against Jabin, king of the Canaanites. And we hear Barak's uh, courageous cry to Deborah. I'm not going into battle unless you go with me. Come on, man. <laughs> and she says, okay, Barak, but no glory for our victory will come to you. For all will say God delivered the Canaanites into the hand of a woman. Then Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army, who had 900 chariots under his command, 
he is routed in battle with Deborah and Barak. And this great warrior, this commander Sisera, he flees on foot only to have another woman, Jael, drive a tent stake through his temple, nailing him to the ground. In Jael, she finds Barak and she tells him, come and I will show you the man you've been seeking. And there lies Sisera in her tent with a stake through his temple nailed to the ground. So much for the thought of women being the weaker sex. Why yesterday, pouring concrete, I had a woman show me how to finish concrete. And I took it like a man. You do good. <laughs> Israel is going through what we call growing pains. They're becoming a nation. And God is using men and women as leaders, as warriors, as people of purpose. And so we have here a message to anyone wanting to serve God. And Judges is full of examples. Never allow anyone or any system to intimidate you out of service if you are a woman or if you are young or if you are a man who feels insignificant or unqualified. It doesn't matter about you. It matters that God has his calling upon you. It's not through our talents. It's not through our great character or our charismatic attitude or whatever that allows us to serve God. We are chosen by a sovereign God to serve, and it is by his power and his strength that we accomplish anything for the good. And God does this so that no man can boast before him. God says, I will not share my glory with any man. So, as a pastor, I look for those that God has called to himself. I try to be an encouragement to that person or persons or that couple in their service to God. In the book of Acts, in chapter 18, you may want to read it later, in the city of Ephesus, Apollos, called by God, known as a man that is mighty in the scriptures, he is teaching what he knows, and what he knows is the baptism of John. And at this time, that is all Apollos is familiar with. And he is teaching, Apollos is, in a synagogue, and Aquila and Priscilla hear him. And they take him aside after a teaching, and they explain to Apollos the way of God more accurately. And here it is. God is using a married, tent-making couple to instruct Apollos, who is already mighty in the scriptures. 
Apollos goes on and he's used of God in helping new believers who are now Christians and the base of their Christianity is grace. Aquila and Priscilla are a, they're companions of Paul, they're tent makers, they're in the same trade, but they become fellow missionaries also. And they're used greatly by God as God begins to form his New Testament church and that church begins to grow. We also read in scripture how there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Our duties and responsibilities may be different, but God looks upon each sex as one. Years ago, George and Luann attended here, and they became missionaries to Africa. And for years, we had the privilege of supporting George and Luann. They're back in the United States now, living up in Massachusetts, up there where the salt's on the road and everything. But in all honesty, Luann was a missionary of that couple, and George would help her. George became her helpmate. Sort of a role reversal type situation, but they were true servants of Christ. Luann definitely had a ministry to women in Africa. In a country where women are not treated on an equal basis with men. For in Africa, many men have multiple wives. But God used Luann, and he used her in an effective way to reach other women in Africa. It was not uncommon for Luann to use the shade of a large tree for her gathering place to teach and disciple other women. Our God is an equal opportunity employer of any who are willing to serve him. Let me give you one more example. And it says Jesus was traveling in and around Israel. We know that Jesus has declared he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's going to go through Samaria. Samaritans, they hated the Jews, and the Jews returned the favor by hating the Samaritans. But there's a woman in Sychar. She's an outcast, and Jesus finds her at Jacob's well, and he asks her for a drink of water. So let's read of this encounter of Jesus and this one woman, John 4, and we'll go through Verse 4 and therefore. <laughs> so turn to John 4. John 4, verse 4 begins with, But he, speaking of Jesus, needed, needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, of Samaria rather, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, 
Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into this city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria asked, uh, rather said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This woman has a question. Why you, a Jewish man, why are you even speaking to me? I'm a Samaritan. A little later, we'll see the disciples are surprised that Jesus talked to her too. Jews and Samaritans would go out of their way to avoid one another. A Jew living in northern Israel would go around Samaria to Jerusalem rather than go through the shorter way through Samaria. And this uh, Samaritan woman is making Jesus aware. She's bringing it up of the culture practice of Jews not associating with Samaritan and vice versa. And she's basically saying, so Jesus, get your own water. That's basically what she's saying to him. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. This woman, she asked Jesus, Are you greater than our father Jacob? The simple answer, well, yes, yes, he is. <laughs> but that would have brought contention between Jesus and the woman, and Jesus is trying to reach her. So Jesus begins to turn the conversation to spiritual water versus living water versus water out of a well. But the woman, she does not move into this spiritual analogy easily. And she says, give me some of your super water, Jesus, so that I will not have to come here every day and draw water. She's staying in the physical, refuses to move into the spiritual. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You have well said, I have no husband, 
For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you have spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This woman has been doing verbal gymnastics with Jesus until Jesus calls out her sin. Go call your husband. I have no husband. Well said. You've had five husbands. <laughs> and by the way, the guy you're living with, he's not your husband. And then we have a complete change in attitude by this woman. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus busting her on her sin instantly causes her to consider spiritual matters. When witnessing, if people want to argue with you and you're trying to reach them, point out as gracefully as you can that they are a sinner in need of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus does it to this woman. And after he puts his finger on her sin, she is ready to hear Jesus tell her how to worship. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus gives her the great truth of true worship. Worship God in spirit and in truth. For God seeks, God looks for, he wants true worship from mankind. But the woman knows, she knows this, that when Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. It's been said of the Bible that in the scriptures, it is simply a story of Jesus. God wants us to know him. And scripture reveals him. You want to know Jesus? Read his scriptures. Verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. 
could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. This woman comes to the realization that she has encountered Messiah. And she goes back to her city and she brings her entire city through her words out to see Jesus. Now let's drop down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This unnamed Samaritan woman is the catalyst. She is the one Jesus used to bring a whole city to become believers in him. A woman of reputation out by the well. And then we have the millstone dropper. And she is simply called a certain woman. And a war ends when she kills Abimelech by dropping the millstone on him. But this woman at the well, simply a Samaritan woman, unnamed. But whether named or unnamed, these women found their place of service to God. That is the most critical thing any of us can ever do in life is find our place of service to God. These women don't even have their name mentioned, but God uses them mightily. Do we desire to be used mightily of God? That's the question. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, awaken us to the reality, the pleasure, the joy of serving you. Lord, we want our lives to make a difference in those around us. We want our lives to be an example to our children, to our grandchildren, to our friends, to our neighbors. We want them to see in us that we serve the living God. You use a woman at a well and you use her to bring her whole village to you. You use a woman in a tower to end a war by dropping the millstone on the right person. Lord, here we are, your people. We want to stand before you open and bare. We want to unveil our face, Lord, and say, Lord, use me. 
not for my glory, but for your glory. Lord, we would pray that we would have a heart towards you to worship you in spirit and truth and to serve you with a full, loving heart. Help us to do that, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.